Good morning. How's everyone doing this morning? Bless. It's good to see some of you who haven't been here in a while because you're sick, so that's great. Like the Darcy's, it's good to see you guys. Is anyone else excited for Christmas in two weeks? <laughs> okay, there's a lot more excitement for that than some people get for other things, right? Okay, hey, with that energy I just heard right there, let's take this in a, a different direction. So for us as a church, we're always about saying, hey, we want to be a church for those who have given up on church. And when we say church, what we mean is it's about the people of God coming together to be the people of God so that we may go out of this place and be the people of God. Now, we are so adamant about trying to be what we see in Scripture, of trying to be the kind of church that other people, for those who have given up on church, can come and find what does it mean to follow Jesus, to be known by Jesus, to be loved by Jesus, and to go out and do what Jesus has done by loving others. But we're so adamant about this that, that we always stop and we give a round of applause and appreciation to someone in this room, to someone in this body that is making this happen, and that is using their efforts and their talents to invest back into the kingdom of God. And this morning, I want to stop before we dive into the message to give recognition to our worship band, because this season of Christmas music, I know we love hearing the Christmas songs. But Christmas time is a very stressful time for those in ministry, especially those who are a worship leadership. Any church I've ever been in, this has always been something I hear from every worship leader. Of, this is a very stressful time. And so if you guys have enjoyed the music that, that we play this time of year, if your heart has been lifted, can we show that appreciation with a round of applause for them? Thank you. I can remember well best Christmas gift I ever got. And it wasn't a toy or a gadget or a car or anything like that. It was a gift my parents gave me when I was a kid, and it didn't cost them a dime, but it's so priceless, I still keep it. And every now and then, late at night, sometimes after my wife has fallen asleep, I'll pull it out just to reflect a little bit on the memory of it. It was a letter written to me by my father at a time when, when I really needed it, it came about one Christmas morning when I was waking up and it was the classic Christmas, you know, you go and you wake up the younger siblings first so that they'll get in trouble bouncing on the parents' bed. And it was that whole charade. We did that, that every year. But I remember this year was different because this was a year where my dad wasn't going to be there. It was a start of a long season of our life where dad was going to be deployed or somewhere else on Christmas morning. And, and this was the beginning of my heart turning a little cold to Christmas when I was a young age. But I remember that Christmas coming into the living room, expecting the worst. I knew our parents had struggled financially that year. I knew our, my dad wasn't there. I was not expecting much of anything special. And then I saw a letter that my dad had written to me months ago that he wanted me to read on Christmas morning. And I'm not going to go into the details of what the letter said, because I think that's something that should be shared only between a father and a son. But it was a great encouragement at a time when, as a young boy, I needed some encouragement that could only come from a father. And I, I look back on this, and I'm like, this is by far the best Christmas gift I've ever gotten. And I'm sure you probably have stories of your own, of something that you're able to point to in your past, and you're like, this is the best Christmas gift I ever got. And it, I'm sure it wasn't something super expensive. I'm sure it wasn't something flashy or the newest gadget that two months later was outdated. I'm sure there was something deeper about it. 
Right now, we're in a season of giving each other gifts. And this is not a bad thing. In some ways, this is a good thing that can be celebrated. But the question is, how can we find the best gifts or the right gifts to give one another? Ones that, that speak a, a volume of love and appreciation towards one another. And believe it or not, the gospel says a lot about how we can give each other these kind of gifts. It's actually, and when we look at the incarnation of Jesus Christ, when we open up our Bibles and we look at a passage like the gospel of John right in the beginning, it sheds a lot of light on how we can go about giving each other the best kind of gifts that we can give to one another in a season like this. Now, in this season and in this series, we've been looking at turning Christmas upside down. If you recall what we've been talking about, we started off this series talking about contentment because we recognize that the way we've been doing Christmas in a lot of ways leads to those feelings of emptiness at the end of the year. Leads to stress and anxiety. And so we've looked at trying to turn Christmas upside down. So we started by talking about contentment. Of are we content with the way things have been? Or are we ready to step into the story of the gospel, the story of Jesus coming to live among us? And then to step into this new space. And when we step into this new space, we're reminded of what Christmas is. That it's not, hey, let's get each other a mountain of gifts. But it's actually the reminder that God has not forgotten about us. It's the reminder that on the coldest, darkest night of the year, there is hope. There is light. His name is Jesus. He, he has stepped into our suffering. He has stepped into our mess, and he has wanted to live among us. And remember, we talked about last week that when we come to realizing this hope of Christmas, there's several obligations it has for us. So last week, we talked about our spending. And I know that was probably an uncomfortable topic, but we were talking about rather instead of looking at, I want this, and I want this, and I want this, let's create space in this season to help alleviate the hurts and pains of others. That if we know of the hope of Christmas, that it's the reminder that God has not forgotten about us, then let's use that by creating space in this season to give to the poor, to give to the less fortunate. But this morning we're going to talk about our giving. Because giving is not a bad thing. I know it's easy to misunderstand what I talked about last week and think, oh, Mason doesn't like giving gifts. He says it's a sinner to a sin to give gifts. That's not at all what I was talking about. All right. But giving gifts is a very special and in some ways maybe even crucial component of this Christmas season. But the question is, how can we give the best gifts? The kind of gifts that people talk about later on. The kind of gifts that warm people's hearts and remind them that they are loved. Well, like I said, believe it or not, the, the gospel, the incarnation of Jesus that we see in, in John's gospel in chapter 1 says a lot about this because in a very dark time, there was hope that was coming into the world as God gave us the most beautiful gift of all. Read with me in John chapter 1. Picking back in the very first verse of John chapter 1, it says, In the beginning, meaning before time itself, before the world was created and all that, it says, In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. If you're already confused, just hang on. It gets more confusing, right? It says, And he was in the beginning with God, and all things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not over." 
coming. See, this story is it's more than just the birth of Jesus. If you actually read the rest of the book of John, the Gospel of John, you see that this is more like the table of contents. John's laying out, hey, there's been this ongoing battle between good and evil since the beginning of time, right? And here's the story coming into fruition where God is going to come and he's going to put an end to all of our suffering. He's announcing the end and it's going to be in this king, this Messiah. His name is Jesus. He is the one who all things were made it through and in him, everything is going to be summed up. Everything is going to be redefined around this Jesus God. So John is laying out for us the table of contents for the rest of the book, showing us that there's this big battle going to be taking place between Jesus and everything else in this world, and Jesus is going to be the victor. And Jesus' people are going to share in that victory with him. If you continue reading, if we jump to verse 9, we see that this God has been facing this darkness and he's bringing hope and life back into the world. And Jesus, when we read in verse 9, it says, The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. And he came to his own and his own people did not receive him. Like how tragic is this story, if you think about it, where the God of the universe who has a love relationship with creation was rejected. Have you ever felt rejected? Have you ever felt unwanted, unaccepted? Ever gotten that text message that says, hey, uh, we're through, or ever been dumped and all, anything, you, you get that feeling, right? Here's how God is feeling that same thing, but magnified by billions, where he's created this humanity to have relationship with him, but it rejected him, because it chose the darkness over him. And, and we're all like that. See, that's our story. And you might find that uncomfortable. You're like, oh man, that's, that's an oversimplification, or that's a, you're jumping to conclusions, Mason, but, but think about this. Do you not enjoy watching those crime detective shows? Like, let's be honest, NCIS comes on, we're there watching it, right? Like, do we not have this, like, little bit of excitement, you're like, oh yeah, there's another murder. Or you're watching a movie, and there's a revenge plot, and you're like, yeah, get your revenge. Like, does that not say that there's probably something a little broken inside of us that we enjoy what's evil and dark? Or just look at the news, right? Like, I know the news can be scary, and we can be very stressed out by the news, but, but we're a little bit more entertained when we're watching the news, and it sees like everything's on fire, and everything's a disaster. Like, you're going to be more attuned to watching that, more entertained than you are if the news only reported about, hey, another litter of puppies were born, right? Like, that's nice. Oh, that's cute. Yeah, some of you might watch that. But you might get bored of that over a while. But then you're like, oh, but then there's a fire. Or there's a, a bank robbery over. Like, there's something inside of us that gets a little bit excited about darkness. Let's go deeper. What about the fact that sometimes we will take evil and we'll mask it to be good? Let me give you an example. Maybe, maybe a man gets angry at a business meeting or with his family, and he storms off, and he's furious, and he, he's saying all these hateful things about someone else because, what, they're wrong. They're, they're not listening, right? And we justify and we say it's good. Or maybe we're control freaks, and we have to have our hands in every little thing, and we justify it and say, well, I could do it better rather than recognizing that as pride. Maybe we will leave a small group. And we will gossip about someone else in the small group, but we won't call it gossip. We'll just say it's an extended prayer request time. <laughs> or maybe it's the example of 
say like a businessman who knows he needs to give, but he's so tight-fisted and he'll tell himself, oh, I'm just being a good steward of the resources God has given me. It's, it's wrong. And it's perverse how we can twist evil and make it sound good. And we all do this. It's no wonder we are so prone to destroying relationships in our lives. It's no wonder we're usually 60 seconds away from making a mistake that will shatter our lives and completely change it. It's no wonder that we will treat church members like this. When we all know the story of Jesus and we come and say, love God, love people, but then we'll still say sometimes hateful things to each other, right? Because we're human. And this is our nature. This is our natural course. And you can imagine the weeping up in heaven as, he, as God's seen, like, I made you to be good. And yet you love the darkness. Why? Because it hides your shame and your guilt and your evil deeds. Like, we're naturally like this. But here's, here's the good news. God, seeing us in our brokenness, decided to do something. He did not just stand off the side and be like, well, this is hopeless. Let me quit. I'm going to go on to the next project. No, God got involved. God intervened. God sought to rescue us from ourselves and from our own natural brokenness and our own natural love for the darkness. He came as the light in the world into a very dark world to show a new way, to bring us back into relationship with him. There's great hope when we continue reading John's gospel and we jump now to verse 12 and it says, but to all who did receive him, meaning who rather than rejected God said, you know, God, I need you in my life. I'm broken. I need you to intervene and fix me. It says to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. This is the ultimate do-over, folks. This is the ultimate second chance. Like, do you ever find yourself thinking, man, I want a second chance. Man, I want redemption. I have made mistakes. I want a fresh start. This is it. It is by coming to God and saying, God, I have tried time and time again to fix my life. I've tried over and over to put the pieces of my life back together, and they don't fit. I need your help. This is what the gospel is about, that we come to this moment recognizing in all our humility, we cannot save ourselves because we love the darkness too much. So we need something to come and save us. And his name was Jesus. And God says he has made a way for a fresh start for you and I to be who we were always meant to be as children of God. And it's wrapped up in Jesus. He shows it when we jump to verse 14, this amazing way what God has done to save us. And it says the word, meaning the word that was talked about in verse 1, right? It says the word became flesh and dwelt among us, or literal translation, tabernacled among us, meaning that God wanted to be among us. This is God's solution to our problem, folks. He wasn't just sending a rescue squad or anything like that or a care package. He sent himself. He says, the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth, this is the incarnation, what theologians call when God became flesh. Because God's solution to our problems was not, like I said, another care package. It was not, hey, I'm just going to send you aid. Or he wasn't even to send us good things like work or company or food or health. He sent us 
himself. Because this was God's solution. That he didn't see your brokenness and think, oh, that's, that's so sad. I'm sorry you're going through that. But no, he's like, I want to be involved in what you're going through. I want to be in this mess with you. I want to be in relationship with you. And this, this sheds a light on how we can give gifts that are the best kind of gifts of what the incarnation teaches us about how we give to one another. And it's that the best gifts celebrate a relationship. The best gifts that we can give celebrate a relationship. In the summer of 2018, me and my wife were going through this big transition. I was getting ready to finish out my last years of my master's degree, and that meant I was going to have to move away for a year. And understandably, I was not in a good mood, all right? Like, I was doing the typical guy thing, like, oh, don't talk about it. Just bury down deep. Pretend like everything's all right. You just nod your head. But in reality, in my heart, I was like, I'm, I don't know if I'm doing the right thing. I had men in my life uh, who I respected who were telling me, you're sinning. You're doing the wrong thing. You're, God would never ask you to, to do this. And so I'm wrestling with this, and I'm wrestling with the fact that we had these very close friends of ours who we had spent years fostering these relationships, and I knew I was about to say goodbye to them for maybe forever. And so I think a buddy of mine picked up on this and he called me up and he's like, hey, I know it's your day off. I want you to spend the day with me. And so he took me out to get ice cream and then we went to uh, a used bookstore because he knows my love language is used books. And so um, we went to a used bookstore and we were talking about maybe grabbing a bite to eat in a movie. And now that I say it out loud, it does sound like a date. Um, <laughs> It's okay, just typical bro stuff, right? Um, you know, nothing weird between two married bros hanging out, having a bro date, all right? Um, and so I'm sitting there like, yeah, this, is, this was great and all. And we were coming back to my house. And keep in mind, my, that house that me and my wife were renting at the time was maybe 700 square foot. Like, it's tiny. Like, three feels like a crowd, right? And I come home, and I find that the house is overflowing with about a dozen different people. Turns out my wife had asked my buddy to, to take me away because she was throwing this big going away surprise party for me with all of our closest friends. And we spent the rest of the evening grilling burgers, playing games, sharing stories. And, and I remember thinking, this is what I needed. I didn't need some material thing, but I needed these relationships. Because the relationships that we have are really the best gifts that we can give to one another. And it's something that the gospel speaks into. When we think about the fact that God came to have a relationship with us, it sheds a little bit of light on how we can give gifts to one another this time of year that, that aren't like, hey, I got you something out of obligation because I didn't really know you and don't really care for you, whatever, but I felt obligated to give you the gift. But rather instead, speak to the fact that we believe that Jesus really came into our world and that, that he walked this world among us. And I think there's really four points that we can really look at. The incarnation kind of teaches us how to give. So bear with me. Okay, I know my normal preaching style is I'll preach one main point, and then we get out here as quickly as I can to beat everyone else to McAllister's or Lemony House Grove, right? All right, but bear with me. I think there's the four things that I think the incarnation kind of shows us on how we can give gifts of relationship to one another at this time of year that could potentially change someone's life. Okay, so the first point is this. It's that if the best gifts celebrate a relationship, then that means presence matters. 
If the best gifts celebrate a relationship, then that means presence matters. Now, I'm not talking about like a present like, hey, it's something wrapped up in a box with a bow and it's all beautiful wrapping paper. That's not what I mean by presence. I mean being physically with one another. That when we're physically with one another, this is something that is powerful. Because when we look at Jesus, Jesus physically walked our earth. He's not some supernatural thing or fiction story that we read. He physically walked our world, okay? Because these are historic documents that are recording it. We have this recorded more than just in the Bible. We have this recorded in other science and historical documents that say Jesus was a real person who really did the things that we read about, and he really came to be among us. In fact, the Gospel of John, the guy who wrote the Gospel of John, all right, John, wrote more than just the Gospel of John talking about this. He also wrote a letter called 1 John. In his opening words of 1 John, he says this. He said, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, and which we have looked upon and have touched with our hands, concerning the word of life, the life was made manifest, and we have seen it, and testified to it, and proclaimed to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. What John is saying in his opening words of one of his letters is that God physically came to be among us. Think of the implications of that. That God, rather than staying distant from heaven, chose instead, I'm going to physically be among them. That says something about when we're physically with one another. That being present with one another matters. And that we were made to be together. We are made to be able to look into someone else's eyes. We are made to be able to hold someone's hand, to give them a hug. Because when we do this, we're reminded that we're not alone that we're not forgotten, that there's someone there who sees us and loves us. Now, I recognize in the climate we're in with the coronavirus and everything else, the idea of physically being together and, and maybe touching one another it can be a scary thought. Okay, so let me just speak to the fact that in, if anything we've learned in this year is that there's real power when we're physically with one another. Like video chats are great and all. That's a great tool we have. But when you can physically be with someone across the table eating a meal together, like does that not speak something in your heart? Whether you're an introvert or an extrovert and someone comes up and tells you, says, I want to be with you. I want to, hey, let's grab a meal together. Let's go and do something together. Like whether you're an introvert or an extrovert, there's something that speaks into your heart, right? Like this person wants to be in my presence. And if there's anything we learn about the incarnation, it's that presence matters. And oftentimes, we do a bad job at showing this. And what I mean by that is not the fact that, hey, we're in a system of potential quarantine and social distancing. I'm talking about just the fact that sometimes we can be in a room full of people, and we'll just be on our phones. Like, it's one of the most saddest sights, I think, of humanity. When you enter a room, and there's like six other people in the room, and all of them are just looking down their phone, and they're not engaging with one another. Because it's pretty much like you're screaming out to everyone else, I don't care about you. You're not interesting to me. I'm more interested in the person I'm stalking online or my social media notifications or the TikTok video or the cat memes. Like, friends, there's, there's, a, there's a lot of good that can come about from six cents screens. But there's a lot more bad. And life does not happen in this space. Life happens face-to-face. -face. Life happens when you're with someone and you're basically telling them, you have my attention. You matter. I want to be in your presence. There's something about that space. So maybe this season, one of the gifts that we can be looking to give one another is when you're in a family gathering, don't be on your phone. 
or when you're with friends and you're out to dinner or whatever, don't be on your phone. And maybe a gift that you can give in this regard is maybe you buy someone a bag of coffee and you tell them, hey, you're not allowed to drink any of this fancy coffee or tea or hot cocoa or whatever unless I'm there with you because I want to hear your stories. I want to be with you. Like, that's a powerful thing that says, like, we believe that God physically came in this world and we want to express that same power in our relationship with another person. That, that's a powerful thing. Point number two that I think the incarnation can kind of teach us. All right, I know some of you are note takers and you're loving this, right? Uh, point number two that we can learn from the incarnation is that the gift of Jesus was personal. The gift of Jesus was personal. Now, Jesus... He knew the people he was with, right? Like, he really got to know them. He wasn't just like, hey, guys, I exist. I'm going to float on this little cloud and all. But no, he got on people's level, right? And he knew what they were going through. He knew what they were facing. The, the book of Hebrews talks about how this is not just true for the disciples, but this is true for all of us. When you read the book of Hebrews, it gives us this wonderful encouragement. It says, since then we have a great high priest. Now, remember, a high priest is someone who stands between us and God, trying to bridge the gap, trying to make a relationship, and says, since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Meaning, this God is so personal with us, he knows how we feel. It wasn't just enough that he was among us, but, but he knew us individually. He knows what we're going through. He knows those moments when you feel beat down, you feel weak, you feel exhausted, you feel weary. He knows that. He knows how that feels because he's been in the exact same place. And it says, because we have this, he says, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. The implications of the fact that Jesus was personal with the people he was with and that he wants to be personal with us is that when we are giving gifts to others and it's speaking to a relationship and we want to be personal with them as well, that means that we have to actually know them. Meaning, we need to stop buying gifts of saying, hey, I bought this purely out of obligation because I don't really know who you are, so here's this thing that you're just going to return in a week. We need to stop doing that, and we need to get to know people. Really know the people around us. Because relational giving is about knowing the people that you're around. My little sister is fantastic at this. Every year at Christmas, she always ends up getting the gift that I'm like, man, I wish I had thought to give that. Like, it was so personal. It was so smart. You know, she has that talent. So I remember a few years ago, I was like, this year is going to be the year where I'm going to beat her because, you know, we're siblings, so there's competition. It's all right to, you know, want to up your sister in competition, right? And so I remember one year, I was like, I'm going to beat my sister in getting the perfect gift for our parents. And I realized, I, I, I figured out the perfect gift for my dad. You see, my dad, he's a um, couple inches taller than me, big guy, military dude. And in the military, you have a nickname oftentimes given to you. For him, it was Thor because he's a big dude, red hair, all that, intimidating looking guy. In fact, in one of his platoon pictures, uh, we might have an image I think we found online. Uh, there's an image of him, yeah, with this giant hammer, Thor. Big dude, right? Like you're a little intimidator, right? Well, I realized years after he had been medically discharged and no longer in the military, I realized the perfect gift to give him would be a Thor hammer. So I went to this Disney store, bought this little Thor hammer that when you swung it, it made all these noises. And then I mailed it around to all of his former platoon mates, asking them to sign it. It was going to be this really special gift. I was so excited to give it to him. And then it got lost in the mail. Yeah. Never had the chance to give it to him. 
And I remember Christmas came, and I'm still hoping and praying that the, the Christmas gift was, the, the package was going to be there, and I was going to be able to open it up and be like, here's this hammer with writing all over it. And I have no idea where it went. And so I remember at Christmas, I had to stop and tell my dad, I was like, Dad, I don't have a gift for you this year, but here's what I was working on for months. And in some ways, I'm kind of telling, trying to one-up my sister, yes, I admit. But I'm sitting there telling him, like, this is the, the gift I thought would be perfect for you. And I saw my dad cry. Like, he didn't actually have the gift in his hand, but he was touched by the fact that someone was trying to give him something so personal. Something that says, I know you, I love you, here's how I'm going to express my love in a way that you know that you're known and loved. The third thing we kind of learn from the gospel when we look at the incarnation and how we can give gifts that celebrate a relationship, the third point is that Jesus' relational gift to us was costly. Like, it's more than just the fact that he came into this world, right? And he came to beings who love darkness, who, who naturally reject him, right? Like, he came and he suffered and died, did he not? Like, the book of Philippians points out the suffering and the cost it took for Jesus to have a relationship with us. He says in chapter 2, verse 6, it says, Though he was in the form of God, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. Being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. See, the king of all things wanted to have a relationship with you so badly that he was willing to suffer the cost of it, of his life, of being nailed to a cross. Like, have you ever ex experienced a relationship with anyone in your life who was willing to go through such pain to know you, to have a relationship with you? Well, guess what? There is a relationship like that. His name is Jesus, and he wants to have a relationship with us that's, that cost him so much that he was willing to die. And we, we did nothing to deserve it. Romans points this out well. In Romans chapter 5, it says, For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for the, a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one might dare to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we are still sinners, Christ died for us. See, Christ did not force himself into this world and say, you're going to bow down to me. No, he came as the humble servant. And he suffered and died for us. And we have to recognize that sometimes when we're trying to be creative, and we're trying to give gifts to others that speak volumes to the relationship love that we have with them, we have to recognize that they might not find appreciation in that gift. You might give someone a loved, or someone a loved one a, a gift, and, and they might look at you like, this wasn't what I wanted. I wanted that latest gadget, the latest video game, the latest clothing attire. Why didn't you just give me what I wanted? And we have to recognize that that might happen. And that one day they might mature enough to see what you were trying to give them was something that says, hey, I love you. Hey, I, I want to be in your life. Hey, I, I see what's going on or things like that. It might take some time before they get to that point. But we give gifts like this that say, I believe that Jesus physically came in this world. That he walked this world. That he was personal with me. He got to know me. And we give gifts like that to one another, recognizing that we might be rejected by it recognizing that people might not like it. The fourth point that we're going to land on this morning is that Christ's gift bridged the gap. 
Now, what I mean by bridge the gap is that there was this distance between us and God, right? Like we talked about before and how, how he's this mighty creator. He's all good. But then we talked about how we're not like that, right? Like there's this separation between us and God that, that we naturally love to do bad things, right? Like this is who we are naturally. So there's this gap between us. But the gift that God gave when he chose to be in our lives was to bridge this gap to create a relationship with us. We see that in Corinthians, or the Colossians, I'm sorry. In Colossians chapter 1, verse 15, he says, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together, and he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that everything in him might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of Christ. Okay, so clearly we understand that that's not talking about us, right? Like you might think you're all that in a bag of Skittles, okay? But this is not talking about you and I. This is talking about our creator and Jesus. Here's where we come in. It's in the next verse, verse 21. It says, and you who once were alienated, meaning you're, you're separated, you're not on good speaking terms with God because for a variety of different reasons, right? It says, you who were once alienated, your hostile mind, meaning you even took what's evil and you convinced yourself it was good. You convinced yourself, oh, everyone else is the problem, not you, right? So that's us, okay? And it goes on, it says, doing evil deeds, self-explanatory, right? It says, he is now reconciled in his body, meaning he is, he's fixed us. He's restored us. He didn't give up on us, but he saw our mess, and he's like, I'm going to change the story. And here's how the story changes. It says, in his body of flesh, by his death, in order to present you, you who were once alienated, hostile in mind, doing evil deeds. No, here's how you're now presented by faith in Jesus. He's presented you holy. He's presented you blameless and above reproach before him. See, Christ came to bridge the gap between us so we could have a relationship with us. And what that kind of means is that now everything has the potential of, of a sacred potential imparted on it. An example of this is just like communion and baptism. You go to the grocery store, you see a loaf of bread on a shelf, and another aisle, you'll see grape juice. They just mean bread and grape juice. But you put them in a church among God's people, you put them on a black table, you put some music on, and all of a sudden it, it means something sacred, Right? Same thing with baptism. Everyone, you're jumping in the pool. People are dunking each other. They're playing games. It seems super cool, right? But then we suddenly all circle up around the pool. We say a few nice words. And then as that person's being baptized, it's like as if they're, they're dying with Christ and being raised again to new life. That the incarnation kind of soaks things with sacred potential. And what that might mean is that we can give gifts that tell stories that speak to relationships. So you might have something that you're like, hey, that person's not there, but when you see them, you think of them. In my office right now is a whole row of toys. I'm like Michael Scott you know, from the office. I just have a whole bunch of toys in my desk. And I'm sure when I first came in the office carrying a box of toys, Dave thought, wow, I'm working with a child. And I get it, okay? I do understand how it makes me look a little bit younger. And it's actually kind of funny when you look at our desk because Dave has a very pristine, nicely ordered desk and mine is just cluttered everywhere. There's books all over the place. There's toys, there's papers. It's, it's a whole mess, all right? 
But every one of those toys are not really toys. And no, I don't mean anything nerdy like, oh, they're collectibles, all right? No. <laughs> they're things that speak into my life different stories. Like there's this wooden little horse thing that I was given as a gift from my time in Nigeria. Or there's this little hand drum from my time in Mexico. And I look at those and I remember those experiences. I look at this little green little dinosaur that's on my desk and other people are like, that looks like a little dog toy. And it might be, but that was given to me by when I worked at a behavioral health clinic for two years and my coworkers knew I was leaving and they didn't want me to forget about them, so they gave me that. And I think of other things that are on my desk as well that, that some of you have given me as well. Like I have from Chase Anderson, I have this little bottle cap disc golf, mini little disc golf set that I was given around my third week being here that kind of spoke to me of like, hey, I'm, I'm part of this. I'm, I'm accepted here. This is my family too. Or I have a, a foam finger on my wall from when Andy took me to a Cardinals game that says, hey, like I was invited to be a part of something that was going on. And see, these are kind of gifts that we can give to one another that kind of have a story behind them, that kind of speaks something into the fact that we might not physically be present in the moment, but, but we are in some other sense. So maybe that's we write a letter to someone. That's kind of a lost art, right? So maybe we write a letter to another person in church or another loved one so they can hold it and they can always look at them and be like, I was loved and this person's as if they're right here with me. Or maybe for some of you who, you have kids who maybe in the next year are going to be moving out or in the next few months. So maybe some ideas for you and how you can do this is get a jar, put 52 pieces of paper on it, and each one tells some favorite memory you have with them and instruct them every Monday they're to pull out a card to read that memory that you shared with them. Or maybe to buy a set of journals and you give one to your child, one to yourself, and you write for the next year all your feelings and emotions of trying to parent them, trying to let go and let them be independent, let them leave home, leave the nest and stuff like that. And then a year from now, you exchange those journals. And that way they can read, hey, I was separated from you, but the gap has been bridged. See, these are just some practical little ways that we can, in this season, give better gifts. Give the best kind of gifts, not gifts that are going to be forgotten in a year or two, but gifts that say, I believe that Jesus is who he says he is, and that he's done what he said he's going to do, and that he's in my life, and because I have this relationship with him, I want to give a gift to someone else that speaks to the gospel as well. Because right now in this season, we really need that. Right now, we're in a dark season of human history, it seems, Right? Things are not always the way we want them to be. And maybe this is the perfect time then to celebrate a relationship with someone else. But rather than give more material things, to give things that have eternal value to them. Won't you pray with me? Oh, Father. In this season, we ask for you to come. We ask for you to be in this place. We ask for you to open our lips and open our mouths so that we can praise you and give glory to your name as we sing about how you are the light of the world. And Father, as we, we celebrate in this hope and joy, call us into to expressing love in this way. That if we're to give gifts to one another, allow them to be significant gifts, not just the easy gifts that click on Amazon, but gifts that, that challenge us, gifts that encourage us and that we use them to encourage someone else. 
Because right now, I think we're learning more than ever before how priceless relationships are with one another. How meaningful it is to, to have friendships. Father, help us to use these as places to give glory to you, to speak to the truth of your name. It is in your name I pray. Amen.